Welcome to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. In episode 23, I interview Kara Duval, Boston-based Pilates instructor, small business owner of Kara Duval Pilates LLC, and creator of our online platform, Range. In this episode, we really give a glimpse into why language matters. Specifically, we discuss the power it holds in connecting us with aligned teachers and coaches, how it affects how we relate to and experience movement, and how it affects how we connect with our bodies. Towards the end of the episode, Kara and I have a really enlightening conversation around genderizing movement. This is a conversation we actually started on Instagram a few months back, but lucky for you all, we got to finish it in real time on this episode. So definitely stay tuned for that and enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Kara. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're welcome. I want to just run through how I met you for listeners because it's been a journey. Um, I actually first heard of you through Stan Dutton's podcast. Uh, I think it was called Better Coaching and he lives in in Boston. And so he shared Kara Duval. I think it was Make Pilates Suck Less was the name yes. of the episode. <laughs> And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And so I don't remember the whole episode, but I do remember bits and pieces and just being like, you know, a lot of what you were saying was relevant about just making movement more accessible to people and just the language that you spoke. It comes through in your teachings. I've done several of your classes by now too, Pilates classes. And you just, you get it. It's movement is deeper than just the physical body you make sure to honor mental and emotional health and Mm -hmm. just meet people exactly where they're at so that was my first taste into who Kara is and then so that was like summer of 2019 I think it was yes yes and then you started going live uh, at the start Mm -hmm. of quarantine on Instagram and that's when I actually started joining your classes because you weren't just doing outdoor Boston classes anymore. And I was like, see, yes. I get to experience classes. <laughs> so that was the first taste. And then, yeah, ever since then, I, I followed along. I um, joined your online platform range and I've just been learning from you since. So thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you. And to kind of tie it together, if he chooses to listen, Stan was actually my first personal trainer. Um, so yeah, so it would, I learned so much from him and I felt as though, um, him and I had this very instant connection regarding being, having a very real human approach to movement and to fitness rather than kind of a showy type of persona, um, which as we know, can really be quite relevant in the, in the fitness world. Uh, (laughs) And so I'm not surprised because I think that a lot of people that gravitate towards his style and, and his way of speaking, um, would probably also gravitate towards my style as well. So that's, so that's awesome. I'm sure he's probably going to be so happy to hear this. Yeah. So here we are. (laughs) So anyways, yeah, that's, that was my first taste and I I just want to kind of touch back on when I came across your that podcast with Stan, I was currently going through yoga teacher training. So I was very much like diving into the world of holistic health. Prior to that, I was a power lifter and I was coming from more of the 
like aggressive and like grindy culture of fitness. And so it was really fitting as well because it was just more about tuning in, listening to the body and doing what your body needs that day rather than pushing it to extremes. All the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So and maybe, I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say is that what's interesting is that, you know, you say that you, you were coming from this background of being a power lifter and, and which is, which requires a tremendous amount of, of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and my background is as a classical ballet dancer and, though a ballet dancer is typically seen as, as quite delicate, um, mm-hmm. and feminine, um, the, the consistency, the drive, the work ethic, um, of a ballet dancer is, is just unbelievable. So I too came from this background of structure, 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 mm. um, And as I was entering my early 20s, just realized even from such a young age of really being like 19 or 20, when I got my first taste of, of just realizing that our bodies aren't machines and that we need to, rather than saying six days a week, I need to be at the gym. Or for me, it was class at 9am and you're then rehearsing or doing whatever your sport, you know, requires of you all day long is just not sustainable. Yeah. Um, and so I think that both you and I had this transition from structure, structure to what's actually sustainable for. Yeah. And I would add to that what's actually present um, coming from <laughs> coming from the powerlifting culture. It was very much, at least at that point in time. So for listeners and for you, I competed around 2014, 2016. And so the like narrative, I would say was very much about, you know, this is what's programmed on paper for you to do today. So this is what you'll do. It doesn't matter how you feel, show up because like action is what matters, which is, you know, a good principle, but also we do need to listen to our body for sustainability and to be able to actually continue to do that for- the long term. Absolutely. Spot on. So tell me a little more about how you got into Pilates from ballet. So ballet and Pilates um, have for decades kind of gone slightly hand in hand because Joseph Pilates, when he created his, his method was finding so much inspiration and he had so many of his muses were ballet dancers. And so um, because of the style, it was it was very common for ballet schools to implement the Pilates method into um, our curriculum. So I was first exposed to Pilates when I was about 13 or 14 at Boston Ballet. However, I hated it. I didn't understand it. I moved with my ego, which ballet dancers mm. have to have a little bit of ego in order okay. to survive in that field. Um, <laughs> and... I, I really didn't like it. Um, and then in college, it was part of our curriculum as well. And that's when I first got exposed to the Pilates equipment. Um, mm-hmm. so if anybody's like, wait, what's the equipment? I'm talking about the reformer and the Cadillac and the chair and all of the larger pieces of apparatus. Um, and I, I really started to develop a respect and a, an appreciation um, for the method, but also it was so great for 
my body because ballet is so much about range of motion, range of motion. Mm. And Pilates is all about controlling your range of motion, which is a big misconception because people think that Pilates is all about flexibility, which there is an element of flexibility, but it's about controlling all of your range of motion. Um, Yeah. So that became quite um, like healthy mentally and physically for me um, with ballet. And when I decided that I didn't want to be a dancer, um, there was a brief (laughs) stint in corporate America um, which lasted all of seven months. Applaud <laughs> you for those seven months. <laughs> I, I know. I tried. I sold payroll in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was horribly depressed because I went from dancing eight, nine hours a day to sitting in my car for multiple mm. hours, and it was awful. But yeah, you're meant I to move. Learned <laughs> great sales training, <laughs> but it was a pretty natural. There was some bumps, but it was a pretty natural leeway from ballet dancer to what do I want to do? I still want to be involved in movement. So I, I began my, my um, Stott Pilates certification in Toronto in 2014. Okay. So after you kind of got on the equipment and saw how it was actually like beneficial for your body, then you were like, oh, I'm willing to give this a try. I was, I've also kind of always been a little bit of a natural teacher. I've always been very comfortable with public speaking. I love to perform, um, obviously ballet dancer, but (laughs) I, um, I have always had a very enjoyable time with communicating with others. And so it felt like become being a teacher, even though it was like, do I really want to be an instructor? Do I really want to be a teacher? But it was kind of inside of me all the time. And when I, when I taught my first class, I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I love to do. And yeah, so it was pretty much when I started, it was a pretty instant. Okay. We're going to dive in. Mm, It was like that gut feeling of like, this is right. It was where selling payroll in Fort Worth, Texas was not <laughs> not the gut feeling. <laughs> not the gut feeling at all. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, when I joined your classes, I so my background in Pilates very minimal, but um, DVDs with like Denise Austin. Yes, <laughs> that was my intro to Pilates. <laughs> Pilates, oh, amazing! And it wasn't bad, but it just left me with okay. Pilates, not really my cup of tea, but then I came across Karen Duval and I was like, oh, this is, this is different than what I've experienced in the past. Yes. It was very, like, I I think I already said, uh, listening to your body, being in your body, but really about the control piece that struck a chord because I was (laughs) recently coming off of the injury. I had a labral tear in my hip from powerlifting And I was so used to like, okay, if I'm going to go work out, I need to have a lot of weight and it needs to be high intensity and super hard. And then in Pilates, the cues you would use, I was like, oh shit, this is hard. Like you don't need a lot of weight as long as you're, the intent is there. That's, that's the magic or not even magic, but 
Yeah, it makes such all the difference. <laughs> it really is all those cues. That I, the, the one that comes to top of my head that I say all the time is moving through molasses. And it mm. really, it makes you slow down and find resistance in the air where seemingly there is none. And, and that's actually the hardest part for people is using their imagination rather than I'm going to pick up a weight, which is an obvious object with weight attached to it that you pick up. And so for a lot of people, it's okay, that's obvious. My brain understands that. Mm. And something like Plotties, it's not obvious. Um, And so there is, it's kind of one of those things where number one, it takes a lot of patience, Mm. but it also requires... Uh, like a certain personality type. And I think back on when I was young and when I started, it wasn't that Pilates wasn't for me. It's that I wasn't ready yet. Mm. I, I was too obsessed with the, the destination rather yes. than, rather than what it took to get me there. And I, I simply was not ready. And so I think for people that are hesitant about Pilates, that would be a a great kind of just something to put into your brain is that to not push it off, but to just say, hey, maybe right now I can't dedicate the focus to this. My imagination isn't there right yet. And that's okay. That's, that's absolutely okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a good point. Like we're human and sometimes we're pulled in just so many directions with family or work or whatever that having to really like dial into a Pilates class, maybe, yeah, maybe it's not the right time, but just due to the pandemic too, people are wanting to do what feels not comfortable in the way of like what they're like, what's easy for them to do like physically, but what's comfortable and what feels like home for them movement wise. Mm. And so if you're somebody that is used to traditional strength training, utilizing weights, that's going to be where your comfort is. If somebody is an avid yoga practitioner, that's kind of where their comfort is. Um, I think we just overall have to have a little bit more patience with ourselves, to be honest with you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The one quote that you remind me of is um, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Absolutely. And it's so true. And Pilates, because I remember, you know, even after my Denise Austin days, I went to some Pilates classes at like, um, you know, big gyms, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like a I can't think of the type of gyms, but anyways, they have group fitness classes. And I remember doing Pilates classes and being like, this is just so boring. I don't feel like I'm being challenged enough. And that's exactly what you said. Like, you just have to be patient and actually be in tune with the body instead of trying to get more out of it than you have to find your person. I mean, yes, that's, and that's true of every relationship. It's why people go to spin. It's why people go to a Pilates class. It's why people go to their, their Tabata class. It's, it's not so much of it isn't because they love that style of movement. It's because they've bonded with the instructor and Mm. there's something about the instructor that speaks to them and that's what keeps them coming back. Yeah. That's 
I have been that way my entire life when it comes to instructors and teachers. Um, even thinking back on like your, like in high school, your favorite subjects in school were probably not really much to do with the subject. But if you liked learning from that particular teacher, you were able to absorb that information easier than if you were to take a class with, with a teacher that you didn't really like. <laughs> yeah. There's so much truth in that. That was, yeah, same for me with different yoga teachers. It was always like you connect with them differently than someone that you're just like, oh, that class wasn't really it for me. (laughs) And just not it for you, it might be it for somebody else. And that's, everybody's got their, everybody's got their people. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. So what, what do you feel like really makes Caradoval Pilates different from other Pilates classes or online platforms or whatever? That's a really good question. And that's actually a difficult question. Um, I think it was my dad that told me, and this was at the beginning of the pandemic when I was feeling unsure of myself and very visible because when you're in teaching in real life and people come to your classes, they're making that decision to come to your class. They're paying. But when you are putting yourself on a free platform like Instagram, people are observing and they're also very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And there was, I was feeling very visible and very um, self-conscious. And my dad said, you know, Kara, you are brilliant. What you teach is brilliant. And I was like, oh, thanks, dad. But he was like, but people have bonded with, with you. They love your, your personality, your music. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've sh- I share a lot of my, like of my personal life as well. They're like, maybe they have bonded with your narrative with like Ben, um, mm-hmm. my partner, for those of you that are um, listening that don't know me. Um, and so there's, there's kind of that personal relationship that is entirely my own. And that's the greatest thing about being an instructor is that even though we might all teach the same modalities is that it's our, it's, we're all entirely different because we're all very different people. Mm. But as it relates to my classes, I've got a very intuitive style of movement. And what I mean by that is that there is structure, but there is also not structure at all. Mm. It's this very fluid way of moving that is highly logical, um, deeply challenging, but also quite sensitive. Mm. And so I like to say that it's kind of the movement that we're craving that we don't really know how to do ourselves. Um, And so I think that my way of building classes and my way of communicating through the language is quite unique. Um, And I think that that is something that a lot of people have remarked on from kind of like a user error, um, error, a user experience experience back to me is that my language is quite different. Mm. And truth be told, I have no idea really how I developed my voice in the way that I teach, but mm-hmm. I for years have called myself the professional observer. 
And so I simply watch people for a living. And so I pick up on what are patterns that are happening within the body that tons of people are doing that might not be entirely efficient given what the human body is saying mm-hmm. um, of what are people feeling? Where are people holding on to their stress? Where do people technically have or usually have like weaknesses or a lack of awareness in the kinetic chain? Mm-hmm. And then kind of bringing that all together and like puking it out into a class. Um, <laughs> and that just kind of comes through years of repetition and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of classes under the belt. So it definitely didn't happen like overnight that I was like, oh, and this is my, this is my teaching style. It was just through years of observation and practice, but yeah. There's definitely a sensitivity, a laser focus, um, an accessibility that I think would be a few things that, that would make my style a little noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. I would just echo uh, some of, I mean, everything you said, plus from my user experience, um, totally the scary (laughs) (laughs) totally the laser focus like I was mentioning before just like really reminding us it's not even like you say like be intentional with your movement but you're really explaining what's happening in the body and so then when you can imagine what your body is doing you can actually feel it better instead of just following like oh lift hips up lift them down lift them up yeah and then um speaking to like really giving the people what they need. It's like, I like to call it micro movements in yoga, but like mm-hmm. you really would just, you know, key us in into like this tiny little movement that you're thinking, you think like, this is not even hard or it's doing yeah. nothing, but it's like those little stabilizer muscles that you yeah. don't work in the gym or you don't think about when you're sitting or walking or running or mm-hmm. whatever. And mm-hmm. it's, that's the difference in, feeling good throughout the day because your body feels actually supported and is moving how it's meant to. I'm reminded of something that I said to somebody else a few weeks ago. I was asked a very similar question and I don't like to pre think of all of these things because it doesn't come out as natural. But I said to this person that I like to bring value to the things that we don't deem valuable. Mm, Um, So I think that that is to your point about micro of, of, of zeroing in on things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily think about until we were injured or we were experiencing pain or an uncomfortable sensation in the body. I like to bring awareness into those areas um, before that sensation comes about. So it's seeing things on a very micro level, but then applying them into kind of a macro type of real life way. Yes. Um, I don't expect you to go walk around thinking about your diaphragm and your pelvic floor function when you're carrying your groceries, but you talk about that in class. So then it just kind of naturally happens when you're walking upstairs with your groceries. <laughs> exactly. Making it automatic. And you remind me of the quote, um, 
listen to your body when it whispers so you don't have to hear it when it screams. I love that. Because <laughs> it's so true. We ignore all the small signals until we get the red alarm that's just blaring and you can't turn it off. And that is so much of American culture, mm. um, which is a shame, but I do think that the past year has been good for people to maybe ignore those signals a little less or start to think of them a little bit sooner before they become so debilitating. Mm, interesting you say American culture because I I didn't know it was different elsewhere. I mean, I would imagine it would it would be, but I don't have like outsider perspectives. <laughs> Last year, uh, sorry, this was 2019. I Ben was running the Berlin Marathon and we went to Berlin um, and I decided to go and take a bar class. Mm. And I walked into the studio and immediately the feel was so different. Mm. Everybody was having coffee with each other and the clothing was very different and the whole feel was very different than a group fitness class in America. Uh. And going through the whole class, I felt like I was like at some sort of just like, hanging out with your girlfriends. Like it was, it was so European Interesting. Uh, that it just made me realize that so much of fitness in America is so freaking competitive. Uh, this was not at all. This was so chill, so fun. So uh, there was an element of camaraderie that, uh, mm. That was just so different. Interesting. Yeah. It does remind me of, now that I think of it, through yoga teacher training, they did talk about how yoga, when it derived in India, it was just a seated practice. It wasn't focused on movement at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But then over the years, as it evolved and became more popularized in Western culture, then it became like a white woman dominant uh, not sport, but outlet, I guess. And it was so much just focused on the physical and now yoga has become, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but there's also things that it's taken from the like origin and the roots of what it really started as. And it's not so much focused on yoga. (laughs) Well, is that now it's the, the question is what is yoga? Mm. And that's, that is, you know, yoga is a lifestyle. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it is a complete lifestyle. It's not, you know, a series of poses. Um, And I think that for so, for so many, it, it, it's confusing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it makes you, now I am not a yoga instructor, but I can imagine that for a very seasoned yoga instructor watching kind of what's happening with the yoga world can be alarming. Um, being like, are, are we forgetting where we're coming from? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely quite interesting to witness as a, as a non, non participant. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like, yeah, it's interesting to see the, um, 
different perspectives on just movement and relationship with the body and different parts of the world compared to what is happening here in America, more like generalized, but there are people who understand that it, like I would say the professionals are like, okay, this is what movement can be. It can be so beautiful. It can be this wonderful relationship with our body where we get to know ourselves better at this deep level. Yep. And let me show you how <laughs> to, yeah. you know, all the students. <laughs> well, one thing that, you know, I actually haven't told anybody this before, um, but there is a reason why I will only teach four classes on range a week. I teach four weekly live streams and I, I won't do more than that. Mm. It's because our culture puts such an emphasis on um, movement in a traditional way of here's your 45 minutes, here's when you work out, that we're putting less value on the walks that we go on um, around our neighborhoods, the movement that we do around our house, the playing with your kids, the playing with your pets, if you have them, that now it's like, oh, exercise has to be this thing that is so structured, which emotionally, uh, physically is quite difficult on the body. And, Mm -hmm. And as much as exercise is a stress reliever mentally, it is a stress inducer physically, Um, and that there needs to be this, or I'm not going to say the word need because that's a strong, but I wish that there was more of a balance between valuing your time spent in your, I'm making bunny ears traditional (laughs) and the value that you put on walking around your neighborhood and resting and eating and hydrating and enjoying yourself. So I won't teach more than four weekly classes on range because then it feels like that is not something that speaks to me and what I believe in. Mm. So why would I go and teach that to hundreds of other people and be like, okay, well, we need to show up because there are people that go up to every single live stream without fail. Uh, If I teach seven days a week, I don't want those like they have to show up. Mm. Um, so again, it comes back to the, the messaging of what's the message that you want to send as a, as a, like a movement teacher? Is it sustainable or is it borderline obsessive? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. I um, find myself having used to identify with the like I'm committed. I'm going to, you know, stick to the program a hundred percent. I was that person. And now I feel, <laughs> yeah, I think we've all, we had to go there to learn and then Absolutely. Be like, oh, no, not anymore. Now I feel like it's my duty when I'm at the gym to, you know, show people there is a, another way and it can be, it doesn't have to be the like grind hard 24 seven and no days off. Don't, you know, you don't need sleep, just do more all the time because it's not sustainable. And like, how much better could your body feel if you make movement more integrated as part of your lifestyle? Like I love to, you know, pop a squat and do like a deep squat throughout the day, just to like sit in a different position than in a chair or just switch my positions of how I'm, how I'm sitting throughout the day. 
And it's like, no one really talks about that much as like a movement professional, but it's so necessary to get that out to the general population because we're the people responsible for teaching them like what is fitness and how do yep. I live a healthy lifestyle? Yep. So yeah, the work work you're doing, the messaging you're putting out, I I think it's so important and well, what's evolving. That today is today is a Tuesday. And I on Tuesdays, um they're the only morning that I am not starting immediately first thing in the morning teaching others. I don't start mm-hmm. teaching until 8 a.m. on Tuesdays, which feels like noon. And <laughs> so on Tuesdays, I wake up and I do my own workout and I look at the clock and I go, I have 40 minutes. And so typically I will start around um, 6.40 and I will go until about 7.20, 7.25. And what I fit in, I fit in, but what's, what is important to me because I teach at eight is I take a quick shower and then I walk two blocks to our local coffee shop, Greystone, and I grab a coffee. And that part of it is still part of my routine of that walk to go get the coffee is a non-negotiable, just like for a lot of people, their workout, that moment of getting my morning movement of walking to go get my coffee of walking home is my Tuesday non-negotiable. So that way I can feel like I can be present for my morning clients. Mm. Um, But if I were to say an hour and you would put an hour and 15 minutes on the clock for movement and not do my coffee with my little walk, I, I, I don't think I'd be a happy camper. Mm. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the me time. It's Kara's me time exactly. to be able to like, actually, you know, truly give to others instead of being, you know, burnt out and then yep. trying to give from nothing. Which- exactly. And I think that that's really important to just kind of to everybody, everybody is in sales. No matter who you are, no matter what job you do, everybody is in the hospitality and sales business. Everybody. And so you don't have to be on the forefront of a presentation in order to feel like you are giving. Everybody is giving quite a bit all day. And so if you're not taking that time to, I really don't like the phrase, fill back your own cup, but it's a common <laughs> phrase. It kind of grosses me out for whatever reason, but, <laughs> but that we have to do those things every day, every day. Mm. And it doesn't have to be like a ridiculous, you know, this is my 45 minutes of self-care. It's <laughs> things that are necessary for your own mental and physical sanity, yeah. which for me is that two block walk to go to Greystone and grab a coffee that I probably don't need, but I'm going to get it. <laughs> like it makes you happy. Like you deserve yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to hear how has your like teaching and like the way, cause you're talking about, you only do two or not two, four days of classes now mm-hmm. a week. So yep. how has your teaching and like your outlook on teaching evolved since you started? I don't know if you said exactly when you started teaching. Uh, well, I started teaching when I was 21 um, or 22, 22. 
And first of all, this is a very good question. And this is also probably for if there are fitness professionals that are going to listen to this, this might be like one to perk your, your ears up a bit. So when you are entering fitness, there is an element of kind of like a pecking order because when you are new to fitness, it is so important to get your feet wet, to meet new people, to practice. And so when I first started teaching and really for like the first like five or six years of me being a full-time instructor, I was teaching like 40 classes and clients a week. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, keep in mind that does not include transportation to get to and from these places, class planning, playlist making, all of it. It was unbelievable. Um, And it was actually the pandemic that forced me to realize that I knew that that lifestyle wasn't sustainable because I was basically coming home at night falling asleep over my dinner, going to bed and waking up at 4.30 the next morning. And that was every day, six days a week for years. And so what has shifted is that the obvious, you know, due to the pandemic, you know, all of these places that I was teaching at are no longer right there at my fingertips. But Mm. it also made me realize that I could reach a significant more like amount of people than I was before for way less of the physical effort, Mm. um, which was such a gift. But now even when, so say COVID were to obviously like just all of a sudden stop and my platform were to go away and I would go back to teaching, I would never go back to what I was doing beforehand because I was overworked, I was underpaid and I was undervalued. And so many instructors feel that way. So this past year, I've had to learn selfish and to realize this is what I need. And rather than teaching seven or eight classes and clients a day, I'm teaching four or five classes and clients a day, um, which is so much more sustainable for me personally. And everybody has to go through that experience of what works for you. There's no one size fits all approach. Um, and so I'm still teaching six days a week. Mm. And so it's, but for rain, I decided four weekly classes was what I felt like I could physically show up for, give my full heart and full attention, and also give my full attention to my private clients, which is a huge part of my business as well. Mm. Um, So overall, I have become a slower, a kinder instructor because I'm not tired all the time, (laughs) much more patient and just in the moment Mm. rather than just moving through time and hoping to get to the next place on time. Mm. Wow. What a shift. It's, I, Courtney, the shift has been crazy and I am just so grateful that this happened in my 29th year mm. rather than 
three decades down the road because I was exhausted, exhausted. No, yeah, I, I've seen so many personal trainers live that lifestyle of just yep. like burnt out thinking this is the only way I just have to like grind my face off to get clients. And, yeah. but you know, you even had the ballet background with all the structure. And so I'm sure you were used to like the long hour days and you made it work. But then when life finally caught up to you almost, it was like, holy crap, this is a yeah. lot. And there was, it wasn't necessary anymore, but for a newer instructor, it is necessary because I think back, I've taught at nine boutique fitness studios in Boston throughout my career. And I learned something from every single place that I taught at. And it also exposed me to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that mm. I would not have had the opportunity and the privilege of getting to meet or teach um, if it weren't for those years of really grinding. So I don't want to bash that lifestyle because it propelled me into where I am today. And I do think that unfortunately for a lot of people coming into the fitness industry, they think that it's a comfortable industry and it is the furthest thing from a comfortable industry. You have to be here. If you want to be here, you have to work your butt off. Yes. But then there will come a time where you can learn the power of saying no. Mm. But I feel as though that only happened for me when I said yes a few too many times. And then luckily COVID was the opportunity and kind of the invitation for me to finally say no. Yeah. Which... I, I, I know how lucky I am and fortunate to have been given that opportunity. So yeah. that is not lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it takes a long time to watch bodies move and really get a grasp of like, everyone is so different. <laughs> What's the best language to use to help people to understand. And so yeah, it makes all the difference. Who actually, I want to talk further about your each of your classes on range. So for listeners, Kara has an online platform called range. And I will let you talk about each of the different classes because just from again, a user experience, um, they are designed, I'll just tap on they're like progressively designed. So you can kind of start with like, origin and then the foundation and then precipice is more like the peak but mm-hmm. as far as details I'll let you dive into those so what's interesting is that where it started was the foundation which is the middle of those three classes I started my career teaching bar um, and so I very quickly realized that I did not love bar in its traditional sense. Um, However, there was so much of the upright movement that I really, really loved. Um, Kind of fell in love with this like unilateral focus of a lot of balance, a lot of control, where Matt Pilates, since it is so grounded, 
and connected into the into the floor, you kind of build up to those things, but it's not entirely functional until you apply it on up to upright work. Mm. Um, and so the foundation was the class that I um, came up with first years ago, and I've been teaching it for years. Um, and it's kind of this this marriage of Pilates, functional movement, and traditional strength training. Um, and so that's where that started. But then I also developed the origin, which is the first class, which is more of my take on a Matt Pilates class. And that's really where you learn all of these and begin to establish all of these connections into the body, uh, where the language starts to make sense and connect the mental into the physical and start to build literally from the ground, from like your innermost being and then having it kind of go out your extremities. Um, And that's where I really encourage new people to begin is with the origin because that is really the groundwork, the literal Mm. groundwork. Mm. And then it feeds directly into the foundation, which precipice, which was something that I only developed this past fall, really is where I say that movement is set free. It's a big mental in terms of, uh, it requires a lot of memory Um, repetition, which is wonderful for the body, um, and kind of these progressive patterns that build upon each other. And that is really for the people that have the origin and the foundation are already in them, that that those principles, they are in their body and precipice is where you get to move and explore your range of motion because your body can. Mm. Um, it's a true exploration. Um, now I am not currently taking class because of my, my hip, but Mm. I I substituted it with a new class called good old sweat, which it was just such like a, I was just like, "Hmm, what is it? It's a good old sweat. (laughs) Kind of like for the joy of movement where you apply the principles that you learn from the origin and the foundation and then you apply them into more of a higher intensity, quite fluid, energetic, getting the heart rate up, getting the cardiovascular system, but also the brain because the memory is working. Mm. And the whole sensory experience. Mm-hmm. And so the classes really do have something for everybody at every stage that they're at, um, whether it's so many people on range that are rehabbing injuries um, or are pre and postnatal women, which is a huge, 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 huge part of what I do is working with pre and postnatal women. Um, People that are experiencing chronic pain all the way up to people that are marathon runners and are professional rowers and professional athletes. And then to everybody in between. So everybody feels like they have the ability to participate um, because there really is something for for everyone, which is my biggest message is mm. how do you make movement accessible for everybody, no matter 
where they think that they are and their like movement history and journey, um, but also being inclusive of every single person, um, which I think is something that the fitness industry is still a little slow on. Mm -hmm. um, Again, it comes back hugely to the language, but also to the movement itself. Um, So yeah, that was felt long-winded. I hope that made sense. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Um, And you touched on some other things I wanted to talk about of like, what type of people join these classes. And I love that it is like, you can speak to everyone from like what you were saying, you've gotten all the experience to be able to watch different bodies and how they move the the pre postnatal woman, the athletes who are maybe more advanced, but they could also really benefit from these like foundational things and everyday life and in their sport. Yep. I think every single person, and that's the thing is that I actually love working with people that consider themselves like underdog of movement. That's who I really love to, to move, to move with and to work with privately. Um, but there is this element and I speak on it of like, is this our ego talking or is this our, is this our body talking? Like what's really present here right now? And so what I have tried to do with my teaching is let's have a strip the ego away mm. and let's all, no matter who you are, what body you're in, what stage you think that you're at, we're all standing on one leg. We're not adding weight. We're not doing more repetitions. We're all standing on one leg. Maybe some of us are holding on to a wall. Maybe some of us feel really sturdy on one foot, but we're all doing the same thing. And everybody has their own experience, but they all have kind of the same value of like, we're, we're present in this one position Mm. and you don't necessarily have to be lifting super heavy or make sure again, you're holding onto the wall for additional support. But I love this idea of nobody is better than anybody else because you are able to do this and maybe somebody else is holding onto a wall. Like, that's why I love, I say all the time in class that you are your own concierge. There is no modification. It's making adjustments to fit what your body is asking for at any given moment. So I put your hand on the wall. It's not a modification. It's because you needed that feedback and that ability for one reason or another. And maybe you don't even need to know, but you put your hand on the wall. So keep it there. Um, So that's, that's powerful. That's like giving people ownership to take, take personal responsibility of their body and know that it's okay for them to do these things because it's not a regression and it's not a, you know, it's just doing what's exactly right for them in, in that moment. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. It just goes to show the power of language and making the movement accessible. It really does. It really does. <laughs> so I'm trying to think back to, was it, oh, it was an Instagram live talk you did. I was thinking it was a class. Yes. Um, you did an Instagram live talk and I'm trying to remember how it came up. Do you remember? So, um, it was, 
I forget what the context was, but you had asked a probing question regarding masculine movement versus feminine movement. Oh, yes. I was asking because you teach Pilates and I uh, perceived it. I, I, I perceived it as like, it's more, it's like a little bit more slow and not as high intensity. So I labeled it as more feminine, whereas I saw like higher intensity movement, more aggressive and more masculine. And so then we started to go down a little tangent of based on your background and movement and my background and movement, how, how, you know, cause you, okay. So I'm, I want you to talk about how you perceive Pilates from your background on movement. So I do not see gender in movement. I understand that it is, I, I, I thoroughly understand um, where you're coming from when it comes, when you're saying things of fluidity, of grace, of softness, of Pilates that, that tend to come from more of a feminine, um, like energy oriented style, whereas something like a deadlift, um, a, a squat, you know, an overhead press, something very high intensity um, that requires that aggression, that power, things mm. that are typically masculine or male. However, my reasoning for why I don't see gender is because of my reason, uh, because of my background as being a classical ballet dancer, where a male ballet dancer is one of the most incredible athletes ever. They have to have the ability to float, to fly, but then also at the drop of a dime, they are picking a 115 pound woman over their head with such ease with one arm. Mm. And it is this perfect marriage of what we perceive as masculine and feminine, but then it it's, well, what is it? Mm. And so for me, being a dancer where I have seen so many men like it's almost like their masculinity has been stripped from them because they have chosen something that society has deemed feminine, Mm. but they are actually tapping into their masculinity in such crazy amounts. Yeah. It's confusing. And which is why for me, I have just kind of put in my head of nothing has a gender. Everything Mm -hmm. is non-binary. It's just movement. Um, And it's not to, to strip the two of their titles, but it's kind of acknowledge that You want to know what's funny is that I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about a deadlift right now. And I tend to think, and tell me if you're, and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you were to think about a push and a pull, mm-hmm. a push and a pull, which one seems more masculine and which one seems more feminine? Uh, hmm. 
I don't know. That's interesting. I would think that a push. Yeah. Masculine and a pull would seem slightly more feminine. Yeah. Okay. A deadlift is both. Yes. Push the ground away to pull up. Right. And so it's a marriage of both of those extremes. Yes. So I think because of my experience of seeing how when people identify movement as one or the other, how emotionally it can have a really dramatic toll on human that I personally think that if we just describe movement as movement for what it is, mm. that it comes back to the inclusivity yes. uh, of it all. However, I understand completely why something like Pilates would be seem more feminine or something like that. But I, I have worried personally that the way that I look, me physically, I am five foot mm. one, 110 pounds, blonde, white woman. And there have been so many times that I have felt as though my physical appearance is not welcoming of another demographic. Mm. Not identified as what I look like. And so through language, through teaching, how can I make it so that everybody feels accepted and welcome and, and a part of it, even though they don't look like me. Yeah. Um, which is why I think that a lot of women have a hard time going into a weight room. Mm. Why a lot of men have a hard time going to Pilates class. And so I think that the way that we focus our messaging, because you know, as a as a woman, you know the benefits of powerlifting. Mm. Whereas I can think of a bunch of members on range right now who are rowers, golfers, hockey players that have tapped into this power of Pilates, but that's not the norm quite yet. Mm. And so I think it's more important about how we're communicating that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's like, yeah, it's another layer that from my perspective, so I also have 17 years of softball Mm -hmm. um, under my belt. Mm -hmm. And so I always like this, this yin yang energy. I, I don't know if that makes a little bit more sense to like you and listeners, but it's like, I feel that balance within my own self. And when I do certain movements, that was what came to mind for me is when I do like yoga, Pilates, I feel more in that like yen. And then when I do the more aggressive, assertive, it's more of that yang, but they can coexist exactly to what you were saying. Mm -hmm. And I have not done your precipice class, but I would imagine that that's where you really feel that like balance of the two. So I said, and I remember now saying this on that Instagram live, that precipice is, is that breathless sensation that, 
there is an mm-hmm. element of there is an element of aggression in that class of of there's something very especially because there's multiple layers of we almost always is starting down on the ground and working your way upwards it is not on one layer and so what's interesting is that even though that is the highest intensity in the let's say in the like fitness realm of lower intensity higher intensity mm-hmm. that that's the class that makes me feel most feminine yes um and i think it's because it's like this primal like woman strong whatever, but to somebody else, you could have an entirely different experience. Mm. To somebody else, they could have an entirely different experience. Um, But it's doing those things that feel so, that they make me tap into a softer side of me, which again, just makes Mm. it all so confusing, which Mm. is why I think that it's just so important that we let every individual person, no matter what they identify and just have their own, identify as, is having their own experience because it's going to be so different for everybody. Yes. That's um, the yoga teacher training. That was a huge portion of the curriculum was like having um very inviting language into classes not telling people what they're going to experience but just kind of helping to guide them and then let them you know experience what they will well that's why I love to talk about bones um uh, you notice how I always say rib, I like to talk about the rib cage and the pelvis and the scapula mm. and the toes and the neck those are things that we all share I would, I am not going to talk about the boobs, um, or anything like that. It's, it's the structurally things that we all have in common. Yeah. Um, and that we can all feel included by, um, and that's another reason why I never talk about, um, the belly button. Um, and I try not to actually even say the word belly because for so long there is a specific demographic that feels quite self-conscious of a belly. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's inviting of everybody, which is why how can we talk? How can we talk of things that are universal amongst all of us mm. rather than the things that might make us different? But what's the things that make us all the same? Yeah. The scapula the the rib cage the pelvis yeah the neck the toes they're things that we all structurally have in common yeah it's it's very important for people feeling included and welcome and just touching on the point about um letting people experience movement in whatever way is right for them like you you spoke of when you do precipice it makes you tap into like working really hard, you're sweating, you're breathing heavy, you're jumping. um, And that feels so feminine to you. And from my perspective, doing like uh, a deadlift, something like really close to one rep max feels super challenging. Yep. And I, I've always thought of it. I'm like tapping into like my masculine, like that side of me that wants to work really hard, but it's more just like tapping into like 
the strongest part of me, I guess. And in the same breath, tying it back to what you were just saying, it's like humbling because you're like, holy shit, I just lifted all of that. Like the human body is capable. And it's, it's like kind of an awe of like, wow, it's impressive what we can, our potential. (laughs) Well, I don't want to speak poorly about anything. However, I, one thing that absolutely drives me bananas and what, what has made me a better teacher in my experience is that I have been a member of classes where you go in and they say, ladies, which first of all, don't call me a lady, mm-hmm. ladies, um, 10, 12, 15, guys, 25, 30, 45 in terms of like weight or whatever. I'm just throwing out random numbers, but it's Mm. like, you didn't even give us an opportunity to walk in the door before kind of, don't tell me what weight to pick up because Mm. I am a lady or because I am a guy. I mean, I think that this, it's really important to talk about of pick up the weight that is or pick up no weight at all because your body in that given moment in time is telling you that it can do you want to challenge yourself but like what feels like you can and Mm -hmm. I think that when you when you give people kind of like oh this is what you should be doing Mm -hmm. it can be limiting yeah which is why you know I say on range lightweights now Mm -hmm. I will say mine are anywhere from one to three pounds and I will sometimes say okay for this one doing you know let's let's we'll use the one pounds because maybe we're doing something with a lot of uh, a lot of repetitions utilizing the rotator cuff so like Mm -hmm. so we're gonna we're gonna take a lighter weight because we're working on a lot of utilizing your rotator cuff yeah not doing bicep curls yeah the load has to change depending on what you're doing with that particular muscle group. But I think that it's just so important for everybody to feel like they can make their own decisions based on what works for them and their body in that given moment, rather than what society or an instructor or something tells them that they should be doing. Mm. I love like, yeah, that's such a progressive outlook and movement. And it's just, it's ever important as the world keeps moving forward and like more, you know, like it makes me think of like transgender folks getting involved in like, they're creating like, um, they're trying to figure out how to regulate it and powerlifting and stuff like that. So it's just so important for not only powerlifting, but any branch or discipline of movement to be aware of these things like yeah we may be calling it something different and there are differences but what unites us yeah I think that there is an element and I think that there is an element of just maybe it's in the world of movement of movement of everybody identifies as they them because it's mm. truly, it's again, movement is universal. It's mm. like, it's like math. It's a universal language. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. I'm curious to see how, how things progress. Um, but to me, and this comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, that my values will always be inclusivity and accessibility when it comes to movement and that of acknowledging where your body is physically and mentally and that given movement and that you just do the movement in that given time that speaks to you in that given moment. And that's, mm-hmm. that's it. That's yeah. It. Yeah. I, I would agree. Like just listening to your body, I would add like, or not add to yours, but speaking from my perspective, I have learned to focus on quality over quantity and listening to your body because like we can push 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 but if we don't keep those in mind we're not going to be able to push for very long (laughs) no it's again it's not sustainable it has to be with whatever feels like it can be a manageable part of you yeah absolutely so is there anything else you want to touch on about range or I was Um, I was going to ask if you want to talk about it, like who are some of your biggest influences for? For movement? Yeah. Oh, this is a hard one because I think that they're, so off the top of my head, the, one of the most influential teachers that I have ever had was um, this woman, Bianco Belician, who I, um, did a lot of my stock training with in, um, in Toronto. And the reason why, not only because she was a brilliant communicator, but mm-hmm. she was why she was who really made me, um, I don't physically take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. I'm quite small. And so is she. Mm-hmm. And I always felt kind of self-conscious about being, um, that petite. So I felt like my personality had to be so much bigger to like take up the space that I felt like I was lacking. Mm. She just watching her teach and move about a space was something that was so um, inspiring to me. But, you know, I, I really do have to say that while I have had many influential teachers, whether it be ballet um, or Pilates or just simply going and taking a class, there are so many fellow instructors that I really deeply admire that I think that if we kind of go about like open and willing to learn from everyone, that it becomes less about zeroing zeroing in on just two or three individual people who have really shaped you. Mm. But I learned this from this person, this from this person, this from this person, this from this person. And it really, I don't know if that, again, I don't know if that's the right thing to say or if that's the wrong thing to say, but I, it would be impossible for me to pinpoint five people. Mm. It would be impossible. Mm. You're just a... like a sponge you just I, I constantly am learning <laughs> sponge and you know I was like I was almost gonna say you know a ballet teacher but what's funny is that probably the most influential teacher one person in my life 
is um, one of my modern teachers in college, Susan Douglas Roberts. And I was a ballet major and she was a modern teacher. And it was like, she was the one who, she was like, okay, um, get yourself across the room. You can't bring your right hand down or your left hand down and you have to keep your head like three inches above the ground. Now like get to the other side of the room. Interesting. <laughs> and I'm just like throwing something off the top of my head, but she made me so curious about movement. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So hi, Susan, if you listen to this. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, when I've asked other individuals this question before, a lot of people have said like, you take like this, like similar lessons from different people and kind of what we were talking about at the start of the show or episode is that certain people are going to speak your language, even if they aren't exactly in maybe the world of movement or the way that they carry themselves, like just their presence teaches so much about, teaches you so much. So it's like- yep. Yeah, constantly learning and and that's yeah, a perfect answer. Yeah. Stay curious. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Always staying curious. Always. Um, so where can people find more about you if they want to learn more about Kara or your platform? So I always say that the best place to go is Instagram, which is at Kara Duval Pilates, because that's really where the the like you know, live updates are happening. Um, but if you are not a social media person, my um, website, www.caraduvalpilates.com to kind of get to know a little bit about me, some of my certifications, some of my background, but then also from there, you can just go straight to my platform range is right from my personal website as well. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Any last little tidbits you want to leave with the people? I do want to just add one thing in regards to the platform. If it's something that you are considering and if you are looking, um, if you're on and you're seeing the monthly membership or the six-month subscriber to also kind of look to the right a little bit. And if something is ever, if ever feels like the, the price, which is $35 a month, if that feels like it's not sustainable for your lifestyle or for your budget, to email me and um, nobody is ever turned away because of financial reasons. So we will find a solution for anybody that wants to be involved. Awesome. Back to your principle of inclusivity. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kara. It was awesome chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit more. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. Our goal with this show is to help you understand how to build embodied strength, trust, and confidence around movement and nutrition so you can get past perfectionism, living in extremes, low self-esteem, and start living the sustainable, balanced, and empowered life you know you deserve. If you're currently struggling and looking to transform how you feel in your body, this is your calling to apply for coaching. Head over to our website and get started. And while you're there, sign up for our email list. You'll get a free download of our one-month program called Intro to Strength and Wellness. And if you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes. 
By following along, you will begin your journey to the pursuit of authenticity, also known as life. The life of creating ourselves to be exactly who we are supposed to be. Thank you again for your support and see you next time.